0: of sin that slavery can appear as freedom, and freedom can appear as slavery. Certain individuals may, uh, may be applauded by the world as those who have achieved success, have achieved freedom. It may be looked at in that way. They've achieved independence, but in reality, in their inner lives, they're tormented by the miseries of emptiness and spiritual bondage. In, in by way of contrast, there are others. Very stark contrast. There are others who who may be deprived of of any earthly comforts. The world may look at their lives and think that must be miserable, but in reality, they are the ones experiencing true freedom in Christ. Harriet Beecher Stowe, um, in her uh, very famous book *Uncle Tom's Cabin*, uh, she depicts this contrast very powerfully toward the end of the book in the relationship between the slave, Uncle Tom, and his cruel master, Simon Legree. As it would appear, Tom is the slave and Legree is the free man, the master, but things are not as they seem. Legree is a wicked man who lives in the bondage of his own vices. His superstitious thinking fuels his fear and he's haunted by the many evils he has done. Tom, on the other hand, in spite of the abuse that he endures, he experiences the true freedom of knowing that Christ is his Savior and that one day he is going to be at home with Christ in heaven. So in that that paradoxical relationship between these two individuals, Uncle Tom and Simon Legree, um, we, we see that contrast. According to the laws of the land, Legree may have been a free man and Tom a slave, but in reality, just the opposite was the case and this is what our passage for this morning is all about freedom true freedom and the difference between a certain kind of pseudo freedom which the world may applaud but leads to eternal death. And, on the other hand, another kind of freedom that comes from being a slave of God paradoxically to be a slave of God that's true freedom and that is what leads to eternal life in heaven. Well, in this passage, we see that each one of us is subjected to the will of a master. There are two masters. On the one hand, there is the master sin. We see that in verse 16. There's the master sin. You are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience. Which leads to righteousness. So in verse 16, we we see the master is called sin, also referred to as impurity and lawlessness in verse 19. So that's one master. On the other hand, there is the master, God, in, in verse 22, slaves of God. Um, or referred to as uh, righteousness or obedience. We're slaves of righteousness, slaves of obedience in verse 16, verse 18, verse 19. So as you read through that passage, you see that stark contrast between these two masters. And what we need to notice here is that there are only these two masters. And everyone is a slave to one or the other there's nobody who is not a slave you understand that there's nobody who's not a slave there's no neutral position in the middle if you think you're standing in the middle without anyone or anything ruling over you you're wrong you are somebody's slave i am somebody's slave and there's not a more important question in the universe for each of us to answer this morning than the question who do i belong to whose slave am i is sin my master, or is God my master? In the bulletin, you see the uh, outline for the sermon this morning. Um, these two main headings. First of all, uh, there are those who are slaves of sin and free to righteousness. That's the one category. And then, secondly, there are those who are free from sin, slaves of God. That's the contrasting category. These are the two categories of freedom and slavery that Paul is is, uh, discussing in this passage. I'd like to examine one and then the other and ask the same four questions of each of these categories. First, in what sense is this person a slave? Second, in what sense is this person free? Third, what is the fruit of this life? And fourth, where does this path lead? Okay, so let's start with, the category of slaves of sin free to righteousness. And the first question, in what sense is this person a slave? Uh, A scholar, a New Testament scholar, Murray Harris, wrote a book called Slave of Christ, a New Testament metaphor for total devotion to Christ. And in that book discussing the, you know, how, how prevalent slavery was in the first century and how this was something that was just all around in the culture, and so uh, something that, that becomes a metaphor in the New Testament for our, our devotion to Christ. Murray Harris gives us this definition of slavery, just a very, very basic definition of slavery, that a slave is someone whose person and service belong wholly to another. A slave is someone whose person and service belong wholly to another. And and obviously we we realize how how wicked and sinful human slavery is. In the New Testament, as that metaphor is used to describe our spiritual life, we see some profound uh, spiritual truths conveyed through this metaphor. So for the person who is a slave of sin, that person belongs to sin, is mastered by sin, responds to sin's bidding submits entirely to sin and is controlled by sin. And we should be clear that the person who is a slave of sin is bound by sin in such a way that they're not able to escape. They're they're trapped. They're not able to escape. In fact, the nature of this kind of spiritual bondage is such that they don't even want to escape. that's uh, That's how deceptive sin is. That the person trapped in sin, a slave of sin, doesn't even want to or try to escape that bondage. They, they may feel in bondage to one particular sin and want to escape that, but it's just going to be leaving one sin to go to another. There's not a deep down desire to, to break totally free from the bondage of sin until and unless God does that supernatural work in their lives of regeneration. So the person who is a bondservant a, a, a bond of sin, they're unwilling, unable to shake those bonds of sin. In what, in, in what sense is this person free? The person who's a slave of sin, in what sense is this person free? Look at verse 20. Verse 20 says that when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You see that? That's, that's an interesting statement because we think of slavery as the opposite of freedom, right? How can a slave be a slave and at the same time be free? Well, this is an interesting insight here, talking about the fact that, that those when we were slaves of sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. You now, many people think of freedom as the absence of any authority or any guidelines. Just just absolute, unconstrained uh, freedom and autonomy and independence. But think about it like this. What if you met a, uh, a couple, uh, parents, with, a, with some kids, and this couple had embraced an extreme form of permissive parenting? Okay, They had a philosophy of freedom. We want our kids to be free, so we're going to have no constraints on them whatsoever children are free to play in the street free to play with matches free to skip school free to stay up as late as they want to free to eat and drink whatever they want any sane person would rightly conclude that's not freedom that's neglect that's abuse. Those parents are not fit to have any children under their supervision, for those children to be free in that sense is not a good thing for them. Even the kids, who, who may think it's kind of cool for a while, you, eventually they'll realize that the perceived freedom of having no constraints, that's not an advantage, but actually a severe detriment that leads to various forms of bondage. The point is, to be free in regard to righteousness, what Paul is saying in that statement, that is not a good thing, to be free in regard to righteousness. You know, the world may scoff at the, world, at, at the Bible's instructions and commands. The, the world may, may look at, at, at the good commands of God that we see in the Bible. Commands about sex and marriage. Uh, commands about honesty and, and humility. And the, the world may look at that and say, that, that's ridiculous. That is so confining and constraining. That, that, that looks to me like a prison. But again, things are not as they seem. The question comes back to, who is your master? Everyone is either a slave of God or a slave of sin. If you're a slave of sin, then you're free in regard to righteousness, meaning righteousness, God's righteous commands, they're not having any impact on your life. They're not having any control over you. Righteousness has no control in your life if you're a slave of sin. And if you perceive things rightly, Biblically, from God's perspective, then you can see that to be free in regard to righteousness is one of the scariest things that could be said of a person. You shouldn't want to be free in this regard. You should not want to be free in regard to righteousness because that means you are owned, you are controlled by the wicked slave master called sin. Next question, what is the fruit What is the fruit of this life? In verse 21, Paul asks, What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? One thing to notice is that the fruit of that life brings shame. There's no honor in living a life that is free in regard to righteousness. There may be momentary pleasures, but it leaves a person empty and ashamed. And what kind of fruit might Paul have in mind here, specifically? Well, in Galatians 5, Paul lists the works of the flesh in contrast to the fruit of the Spirit. Every life bears fruit, and depending on your master, your life will produce radically different kinds of fruit. So if sin is your master, if you're controlled by the flesh, then the fruit of your life will be along these lines, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's Galatians 5. And that last verse leads us into the question of of where this path leads. This life of being a slave to sin, where, where does this path lead? The answer given in Galatians 5 is clear. That path does not lead to inheriting the kingdom of God. Those who give themselves over to sin and do not fight sin will not go to heaven. It will be evident that they're they're not repenting of sin. They're not trusting in Jesus Christ. And that path leads to hell. The way Paul says it in the well-known verse in our text here, Romans 6.23, is this, For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And understanding that statement in light of the metaphor he's using in this passage and the parallel with the, the free gift which God bestows, we can see the meaning that, that death is the wages which the slave master sin pays to its victims. Either God is your master or sin is your master. If, if sin is your master, the, the paycheck you should expect at the end is death. That's what Paul is communicating here. The slave master's sin pays its slaves with death. As one writer put it, sin promises life, but gives death. Sin promises life, but gives death. That's the great lie. That's how seductive and deceitful sin can be be warned by this take heed of this reality it may be so enticing to grab hold of those deceitful promises oh this will really be living if i pursue this path but the fruit will be shameful and that path leads to eternal death in hell separated from god forever okay so those are some things we learned from this passage about Uh, the the life of of slavery to sin. So let's turn now to our our second category, free from sin, slaves of God. The person who is free from sin and a slave to God. Notice that Paul is writing to believers here and he's saying that, that you once were slaves to sin and free in regard to righteousness, but now you are free from sin, now you're slaves to God. In verse 20, he says, When you were slaves of sin. In verse 22, he says, Now you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. So that's what has happened to you, believer. That's what happens in conversion. You're transferred from one domain into another, you're transferred from one slave master to another you are redeemed you're purchased out of that bondage to sin and now you belong to god john stott in his uh, commentary on romans he recalls the death of king edward the eighth this was in 1972 and john Stott, being there uh, in england he, he remembers this um, when that happened and he, re- he recalls a television program that chronicled this man's life, and um, as King Edward is, is sharing about his upbringing, and, and he made this, this statement, uh, he, was, he was reminiscing back to his boyhood as Prince of Wales, and Edward said, my, my father, who is King George V, my father was a strict disciplinarian. Sometimes when I had done something wrong, he would admonish me, saying, my dear boy, you must always remember who you are must always remember who you are. And John Stott ties that into uh, the message of of Romans 6, that if you're a Christian, if God has saved you from your sin and given you the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ, if you are in Christ, then you are free from sin. Your identity is in Christ. That is who you are. And then the message here in Romans 6 is, so act like it. Act like who you are. Know who you are, remember who you are, and, and become who you are already, who God has declared you to be in Christ. Well, let's look at these questions. In, in, in what sense is this person free? And, and I might have gotten these questions out of order um, on, the, uh, on the outline there. That's my fault. But... Uh, I want to go to this question first. In what sense is this person free? The Christian is free from the penalty of sin because Jesus died and took that penalty for us. We're also free from being dominated by sin. Uh, We we know we're not entirely free from sin in this life because we uh, we, we continue to be tempted. We continue to succumb to various temptations but we are free from the mastery of sin. We're no longer controlled by sin. We have a new desire, a desire we didn't have before when we were slaves of sin. We have a new desire now to fight against sin. We don't want to be deceived by sin. We don't want to be shackled by sin. And God has put that desire in us now to to break free more and more and more from those snares of sin. I love how Augustine described his conversion, because it captures the change in desire that God effects within us when he saves us. Augustine said in, in his prayer to God in the Confessions, he said, How sweet all at once it was for me, God, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You, God, you drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place That's part of augustine's testimony of what god did in his life and that's what happens when god sets us free from the cruel and deceptive slave master sin and opens our eyes to see real beauty and to experience true pleasure when he changes our hearts we can see that the pleasures of this world are fruitless joys like augustine put it they're fruitless joys and therefore we should not fear to lose them. God drives those desires from us, and He replaces those desires with a desire for Him, to know Him and enjoy Him. I also love the way Charles Wesley described um, how God rescues us in the hymn, And Can It Be? Let me read you a couple lines from the hymn, And Can It Be? by Charles Wesley. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, So think about the metaphor here, the imagery. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Well, that's what happens when God rescues us from the bondage of slavery and sets us free to follow him if you're here this morning realizing that the chains of sin are still binding you i just want to speak to you for a moment and encourage you exhort you to cry out to god in repentance of your sin and faith in christ plead with god to rescue you from that bondage to set you free acknowledge that you're a sinner that you have turned your back on god and rebelled against him Acknowledge that your only hope of escape is the blood of Jesus Christ who died in our place and then rose again on the third day in triumph over sin and death. Cast yourself on Jesus. Your only hope is him. Plead for mercy and he will deliver you. He's the only one who can save you, who can deliver you from the shackles of sin. Cry out to him and ask him to do that for you today. In what sense is this person a slave? Next question. In what sense is this person a slave? The believer belongs to God. The believer is owned by God. Going back to that definition by Murray Harris. Our our person and service belongs wholly to another. We're owned by God, not only by the virtue of the fact that He created us, but now also because He has redeemed us. So we as believers, we are doubly owned by God. And He's now the controlling force in our lives. We, we obey Him, we pursue righteousness and obedience. This is part of what it means to be slaves of God. We must also acknowledge here, though, that the slavery analogy is not a perfect one. The idea of being God's slave, that, that idea, just saying that, <clears throat> that can be offensive to us, that can rub us the wrong way, You know, that just seems demeaning. Um, and it may put a negative image in our minds of what it means to be a Christian. So we need to understand this, that no analogy is perfect, that not even biblical analogies uh, necessarily hold true in every possible parallel. It does provide us with a profound illustration of our slavery to sin, And then our slavery to god but the parallels between physical slavery human slavery um, that we know of in history and in our world today um, the parallels between that and spiritual slavery are are not perfect the the analogy does break down they don't correspond in every way even here in in our text in verse 19 paul says i am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations That clues us into the fact the the analogy is not a perfect one. We also see in a couple other New Testament passages that the slave imagery breaks down. In John 15, verse 15, Jesus says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. In the relationships between human masters and slaves, there's there's distance. There are barriers. There's a lack of closeness and openness. But that's not true of our relationship with Christ. This is one place where the analogy breaks down. Being slaves of God and of Christ does not imply distance and alienation. Quite the contrary. Another place where the analogy breaks down is shown in Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. Galatians 4, 7, where Paul writes, So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So being a slave of God does not imply lack of fellowship with God, as we saw in John 15. And then we see here, neither does it imply a lack of sonship or a a lack of inheritance. So, yes, we are slaves. Of God, We belong to Him, but we're also so much more than slaves. We are His children, and we will receive an eternal inheritance from Him. So we see in these ways, the Bible uses diverse imagery and analogies to describe our relationship with God. Next question, what is the fruit of this life? Verse 22 says, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. The word there is hagiasmas and can be translated holiness or sanctification. To quote Galatians 5 again, the fruit of the Spirit is what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit that comes in the life of the believer, the one who is a slave of God. It's also interesting to consider the fruit of the Christian life in terms of a couple other passages which speak of slavery. The first passage is in 1 Corinthians 7.23. If you're taking notes, you might want to just jot down some of these passages. I know I'm mentioning several of them, uh, but if you jot down the references and you could look at them later. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7.23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Notice how those two statements are put together. You were bought with a price, meaning you you are a slave of Christ now. You, You were bought, you were redeemed. And therefore, since you are a slave of Christ, you should not enslave yourself to other people. And this is a fruit of being God's slave. Some of us may be enslaved to other people in various ways. You may be enslaved to what others think of you. You may be enslaved to what others expect from you. You may be enslaved to the praise others give you, or enslaved in fear of the insults you might uh, receive. And in this way, other people are controlling your life in different ways, rather than Christ controlling your life. And uh, it's, if that's true of any of us, we need to repent of that. We need to repent of esteeming people above Christ. We need to remind ourselves that we were bought with a price. We have a new master now. In contrast to this, uh, if, if we are slaves of God, how should we view other people? And there's somewhat of a paradox here when we look at some different uh, verses um, in the New Testament. Because in one sense... As I just said, we must not enslave ourselves to others. But as slaves of God, we do serve others, and, and in, a, in a sense we are becoming the slaves of others to, to, to serve other people, but in a very different way. So just a couple chapters later, I just read from 1 Corinthians 7, now jumping to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, Paul is defending his ministry and he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave of all, that I might win more of them. Um, And and let me just make this comment, too, about the translations. A lot of the translations will will say servant in in many places, um, translating the Greek word doulos. uh, But the Greek word doulos is more literally slave. Um, a lot of the translations soften that a little bit by saying servant or or bondservant or something like that. But if you look in your Bible, there there might be a note that says, you know, or slave, do loss. Um, this is one of those. But Paul is saying, though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant or more literally a slave of all that I might win more of them. So, so there is a way that we... Uh, that, that we make ourselves slaves to others, in this case to unbelievers, in order that they might be drawn to Christ. We, we, we want to be servants. We, we want to serve others. We want to listen. We want to try to understand where different people are coming from. And we want to seek ways to present the gospel to them that are going to be meaningful for them and their situation. That's how we make ourselves slaves to unbelievers. And then finally, we're also to be slaves to our fellow believers. This is another way that we serve and, and, uh, in this sense, enslave ourselves to others as a manifestation of our slavery to God. You remember when the, the mother of the sons of Zebedee asked Jesus to seat her two sons on either side of him in his kingdom. This is in Matthew chapter 20. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. And then a few verses later, he says to all his disciples, he says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And, and there it is, the, the Greek word diakonos, where we get the word deacon, that word diakonos, which means servant. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, doulos. So he uses both of those terms there in parallel way um, in Matthew 26-28. 20, uh, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are to follow Jesus' example of humility and service. He took the form of a bondservant, a slave, as as you you know from Philippians chapter 2, a doulos. Jesus Himself made Himself a slave. And we are to take that form of a slave as well as we humbly serve one another. Last question, where does this path lead? Well, it leads to the glorious inheritance of eternal life in heaven. The end of verse 22 says that its end is eternal life. And then verse 23 says that the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Those under the mastery of sin get what they deserve. The slave master's sin pays them with eternal death. But God bestows upon all those who belong to Him, He bestows the unmerited grace and gift of eternal life in heaven. This is not a wage that we earned or deserve. It is a free gift purchased by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, as I draw this sermon to a close, uh, I I want you to remember that things are not as they seem. Not all that glitters is gold, as the old saying goes. Not all that glitters is gold. The world's pleasures may glitter, but they're not gold. And as Tolkien uh, turned this saying in a different way, all that is gold does not glitter all that is gold does not glitter that is true as well the precious and inestimable blessings of being a christian may not always glitter in this world may not always look all bright and shiny and and enticing but let us remember brothers and sisters and may we remind ourselves and remind one another that it is gold to be a christian and to follow Christ To live as a slave of God is true freedom, true joy, and will lead to everlasting peace and excitement and satisfaction in the presence of our good master. As a brief point of application, I, I exhort you in light of this fact that things in this world are not as they seem, I exhort you to read the word of God regularly. Immerse yourself in God's word, know God's word, memorize God's Word, and spend time in prayer with God, and be in fellowship with other believers on a regular basis, or else the freedom in regard to righteousness, that will become more and more enticing if you're not tethered to the the anchor of God's Word. We need the Word to remind us day after day after day what true freedom is and what bondage is. The world turns this upside down. We need a steady dose of truth or sin is going to become more and more enticing. Jesus said in John 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So dwell in the truth and gather people around you who are not afraid to speak the truth into your life. We need this encouragement and accountability so we can live in liberty rather than in bondage. There's a powerful scene at the end of Les Miserables, the musical. If you're not familiar with the story, it's a story of redemption in the life of a man named Jean Valjean. He had been a prisoner for so many years because he had stolen bread to give to his sister's family who were starving. When he was finally released From uh, his imprisonment, he was trying to make a way for himself in the world, and he was taken in by a bishop who showed him kindness and trust, and Valjean took advantage of that trust and robbed the bishop, fleeing in the middle of the night um, with some of those belongings, and the police caught him, brought him back, and the bishop amazingly told the police that he had given these things to Valjean as a gift, and the bishop gave Valjean the valuable candlesticks as well. And that mercy that the bishop showed to Jean Valjean, that transformed his life. Valjean went out into the world, this time a different man, and that played out in in different ways in his life. He uh, sought to rescue Fantine from the desperate circumstances of her life. After Fantine died, uh, Valjean then um, raised Fontaine's daughter, Cosette, and all this while Inspector Javert, the bad guy, Inspector Javert, was pursuing him and wanting to imprison him again for those past crimes. And like Uncle Tom and Simon Legree, who I shared about at the beginning of the sermon, the the contrast between Jean Jean Valjean and Inspector Javert um, highlights, again, the difference between perceived freedom and true freedom. Like Simon Legree, Javert had the law on his side, but he was bound by chains of his own making. Jean Valjean, on the other hand, he experienced freedom through sacrifice. And at the very end of the story, after many twists and turns, Valjean is on his deathbed. Cosette and her husband are there with him. Valjean is at peace. After all, all of these dramatic events in his life, he's at peace at the end. And in the final scene, Fantine, because mother who had passed away years before, she, she appears and she's beckoning Valjean to heaven. Some of you know this scene. And uh, she sings, she says, Come with me where chains will never bind you. All your grief at last, at last behind you. Lord in heaven, look down on him in mercy. And then Valjean responds, forgive me all my trespasses and take me to your glory. It's a beautiful picture to me of the freedom that we long for, which we will finally experience in all its fullness once we are with God in heaven. This fallen world is filled with chains that that bind us and beckon us and pursue us. Don't you ache for that day and that place in God's presence where chains will never bind us, where all our grief at last will be behind us. And it's because the Lord of heaven has looked down on us in mercy and forgives us all our trespasses and will one day take us to His glory. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your mercy and kindness to us in Your Son, Jesus Christ, Your beloved Son whom you sent into this fallen world to live a perfect life and then to die on the cross for our sins and then to come forth triumphant from the grave on the third day, on that Sunday morning. And we rejoice that the tomb is empty. We serve a risen Lord. And we do acknowledge that, God, you are our Lord. You are our Master and we submit to you. We submit our lives to you. We, we, we acknowledge we are our person and service. Everything we are and everything we do belongs to you. And so I pray that we will live in the freedom and the joy of knowing that you have made us your own. And I pray this week as we head into a new week that we will have that mindset, that attitude of we want to serve you and, and, and rejoice in you and obey you in in all aspects of our lives. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.